I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources, where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Really pleased to have joining us in studio today, Utah Senator Mitt Romney. Senator, great to have you in the state of Utah today and not back in the, the muck and mess of Washington, D.C. <laughs> Thanks, Boyd. Good to be home. <laughs> uh, so many things going on. Uh, let's start internationally. Obviously, the focus continues to be on Ukraine, what's happening with Vladimir Putin. Uh, give us a sense from the Foreign Relations Committee standpoint in terms of what you're looking at, what you're seeing. Uh, what do you expect to see in the days ahead? Well, I'd note that uh, any forecast I make is uh, uh, certainly got to be taken with a large grain of salt, in part because uh, we really don't know very much about uh, what's been going on there. Uh, our military thought that Russia would rush right in and uh, and take Kiev in, in a matter of uh, days. And instead, the Ukrainian military has shown itself to be extraordinarily motivated and with great capability, has pushed Russia away from Kiev. Now, of course, the fighting focused in the Donbass. I hope the Ukrainians are able to keep pushing the Russians, maybe push them out of the country altogether, but recognize that that would be unacceptable to Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. And he is unlikely to allow that to happen, even if it meant resorting to something even more horrible than he already has done. And I'm talking about the types of weapons that would be uh, would change the character of the war. I hope he doesn't do that. So it's kind of hard to see how this will play out. But right now, a lot of suffering. And a lot of pain and uh, and an uncertain uh, conclusion. Yeah. President Biden announced earlier today uh, an additional $800 million in uh, direct military assistance, also another 500 uh, in terms of economic aid uh, for the country. Uh, as you look at that, again, kind of the role of Congress in all of that, and, and then also our allies in Europe, uh, it seems that we've been kind of leading from the middle. Is this an opportunity for Europe to kind of galvanize and assert that, hey, maybe Vladimir Putin's not as big and tough as we thought he was and, and lead there? Or is this still something where America is going to have to lead? Well, I think there's no question but that uh, we have all recognized that the Russian military is nowhere near of the capabilities we we had anticipated and that Ukraine has done a lot better than we anticipated. There was without question some hesitation on uh, giving the Ukrainians the kinds of weapons they needed. That wasn't just in this administration, the prior administration as well. We're catching up. I'm glad the president's making efforts to catch up, but uh, it's not enough to take on the Russian military. Russia spends about 10 times as much annually on their military as Ukraine does. You know, sending over less than a billion dollars worth of equipment from the U.S. is not going to change the tide of the war. But I'm glad we're standing with the Ukrainian people. President Zelensky has proven to be a monumental hero, as have the people there. 
I believe that American leadership was essential to making sure that the sanctions we put in place were not mm-hmm. just U.S. sanctions, mm-hmm. but instead the entire West came together. Those are the kind of sanctions that have the greatest bite. They don't change the outcome of the war necessarily, but they do communicate that there is a high cost of doing something which is terribly evil. Yeah, I want to hear one thing just really quick before we move to some other topics, and that is this issue of leadership. Uh, you have seen, studied, and been part of leadership in a, in a wide range of things from business to the Olympics to politics. Uh, you mentioned President Zelensky, uh, and he seems to be showcasing that fact that you'd, you'd rather have a uh, an army of lambs led by a lion than an army of lions led by a lamb. Uh, there seems to be some confusion there, but what do you see in him? Him in terms of leadership that seems to be making that actually work uh, against all odds. Going back to someone like George Washington, this is a leader who has shown that he is going to be part of whatever he commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's not expecting other people, the, the cannon fodder, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, to fight for him. But he will be fighting himself and he will be putting himself at risk, his family at risk. You know, that's, if you will, step number one. Number two, he describes precisely where he stands. People know what he is committed to, what his principles are, what his vision is. There's no confusion about where he is. And so people can trust him because they know where he will come out. And then finally, he establishes a clear vision of where he wants to go. So people know, okay, I can trust him. He's telling me where he's going to go. He's part of this. And that has galvanized the people of his own country. Had he gotten on a plane and flown off to Paris and said, hey, you all fight long and hard, but I'm making sure I'm, I'm here in case yeah. you need me, that would, that would we would have had a very different outcome by now. Fantastic insight. Let's shift to uh, things here locally and, and in the economy. Uh, you penned a piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, this week. Uh, tell us where we are in terms of jobs, the economy, inflation. Uh, where are we headed well, we're going to probably see more inflation. It's not going to disappear anytime soon. The supply chain around the world continues to be badly broken. That's not just because of Russia and Ukraine. It's going on beyond that. Of course, we also have COVID continuing to really disrupt in China, uh, which is a huge supplier to all sorts of businesses around our country and around the world. So you're going to see inflation continue. Energy prices are set on a global basis. We have constrained supply. So you'll probably see inflation for a while. You should expect the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. And historically, they have tried to create what's known as a soft landing, which is Mm -hmm. to slow down inflation without causing a recession. Whether they're able to do that now or not is very much up in the air. I hope they can, but nothing like that is 100% guaranteed. We're fortunate here in Utah in that we have basically full employment. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have rising wages, but the cost of living here in Utah is becoming a problem. And it has been now for a couple of years at least. The price of homes, very high. And now with inflation, over 10% in Utah, Mm. particularly for people that are living paycheck to paycheck, this means something has to be cut out of their budget. Is it going to be some food products? Is it going to be medicines? Is it going to be transportation? I mean, this is uh, creating real hardship for a lot of people in Utah. Yeah, and as we look at that uh, outlook, we always uh, always go back to the the spending and what's happening in Washington. Again, uh, left, right, and center uh, (laughs) have been spending a lot for a long time now. Uh, How does that factor into where we are with inflation and that overall economic outlook? Well, the president's $1.9 trillion spending bill, the so-called American Rescue Plan, was a very badly timed piece of legislation and a bad idea. He sent out $1.9 trillion into an economy that was already running at full speed. And that's one of the things that contributed to the high level of inflation you're seeing today. But the spending is not just the $1.9 trillion. We also spend every year an extra trillion more than we take in. 
I mean, just to put this in perspective, I think I've done this with you before, but, you know, a million seconds ago was, uh, uh, let's see, uh, March, all right? A billion seconds ago, uh, George W. Bush was, was president. A billion seconds ago, Neanderthals were on the earth. Excuse me, a trillion, trillion seconds. Yeah. That's what Neanderthals were on the earth. We say a trillion dollars, that's a heck of a lot of money. And we spend a trillion more than we take in every year. Mm-hmm. And that's overwhelmingly on programs that we don't vote on. Medicare, Medicaid, mm-hmm. Social Security. We haven't balanced those programs. We need to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as you look at the politics of all of that, obviously uh, entering into a really critical 2022 midterm election, uh, there's a lot of uh, shoulder shrugging and finger pointing uh, as to who's in f- at fault when something started. Uh, how do you see the politics of all this playing out? What do you expect uh, to be on the table uh, of substance? as we roll through the rest of the year. Well, I wouldn't want to have Democrat after my name and be running for office uh, in 2022. And that's very simply, uh, you know, the Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the White House. So guess what? They're going to get the blame for stuff that's going wrong. And Afghanistan was a, a terrible disaster. Mm-hmm. That's squarely on the shoulders of the of the president, the current president. You've seen the kind of inflation we're experiencing. You know, I'm sorry, the president's going to be blamed for that. Mm-hmm. And his party will be. So Democrats should lose seats in the House and they should lose seats in the Senate. But as the old saying goes, Republicans do have the history of from time to time snatching <laughs> defeat out of the jaws of victory. And so it would be possible for us to nominate individuals that are so distasteful that even though they're Republican, they might get beaten by a Democrat. And hopefully that will not be the case and we'll be able to uh, to retake the Senate. And if we finally have a House and Senate that can push back against the president, why well, then maybe we'll be able to tackle some of our problems on a bipartisan basis, which, as you know, is the only way to actually get something done in Washington. Yeah, you made an interesting observation this morning uh, talking about some of the criticism uh, in terms of Republicans not being for anything. Uh, describe that for us. Yeah, you know, the president the other day said, uh, you know, Republicans are not for anything. And I thought, what what in the world is he talking about? And then I realized, oh, my Democrat friends feel that you're only for something if it's for spending more money. You're in favor of a new program that takes a lot more money. That's being for something. It's like, no, no, that's easy. The hard job is cutting back, is eliminating programs, is finding ways to save. That's the hard work of governing. Every governor in this country knows that they have to balance the budget every year. That's hard. So we we Republicans are for economizing, cutting back, eliminating programs that are not necessary, keeping the good ones, getting rid of the bad ones. And uh, and that's hard work. And that is being for something. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Final question for you, Senator, before we let you go. As you look into to, to next week, uh, obviously a little bit of a recess, uh, although I'll correct it for your staff, in-state work period, because I know your staff is working like crazy when you're here. As everyone reconvenes next week, uh, what's something on your radar that maybe we're not thinking about that we should be watching for uh, as things get back uh, rolling in Washington, D.C.? Well, I think Washington will be focused on the uh, immediate issues of Ukraine and inflation, and that's as it should be. Mm. But there are major underlying issues that have to finally get some attention. One is the amount of debt we have, the amount of excess spending we're, or, that's being carried out. So that we're going to have to focus on that. Yeah. Number two, we're going to have to consider the fact that China is fast becoming the largest and most powerful nation on the planet, economically and militarily. Mm-hmm. We have to develop a strategy to deal with China. And number three, it's hot and dry out here. All right. And around the country and around the world, we're seeing a changing climate. We're going to have to find ways not just to do things at the margin that sound good, that make no difference at all, 
but instead to make major technological changes that will help, if, if you will, make our energy sources more sustainable. By the way, I'm thinking nuclear when I say that, as well as wind and solar, but nuclear, I think, is one of the key elements. And finding technologies that can be shared around the world, that's going to have to happen. All right. Utah Senator Mitt Romney, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Boyd. Good to be with you. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.